The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready for operational excellence? Welcome to the Visual Workplace, work that makes sense, where your host and visual workplace expert, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, shares powerful visual principles and practices to optimize your operations and make them safer, faster, better, and far less costly. The Visual Workplace. You can't get to excellence without it. Now, here's Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. Hi. Hi. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth, and I welcome you to The Visual Workplace. Welcome to our weekly radio show about letting the workplace speak. I'm your host, and each week we talk about some aspect of embedding our intelligence into the operational system of the workplace. Embedding our intelligence through visual devices and visual mini-systems and visual big systems, through devices that hold components of our intelligence, and we embed that into the living landscape of work. We install the language of our current understanding, our current mastery of our operational system into the physical work environment, and it resides there so that we can pull the information contained in those devices to us when and as we need it. It's a wonderful creative process. It's a wonderful intellectual knowledge-based process. It's based on principles. It's based on logic. It's based on building blocks of thinking. And really what we want to do is create a new way of thinking in our brain and in our performance. We want to use our performance as the process that we study like scientists all the time. And one of our main levers in doing this is motion, moving without working, noticing our motion, because as visual thinkers, we know that if there's motion, it's been triggered by an information deficit. It's been triggered by missing information. When we're wandering around, when we're in motion, when we're asking questions and we're in motion, when we are searching for things, when we are searching for people, when we are searching for material or information, we know that is because the information is not resident in the landscape of work. It's somewhere else. It's in a book. It's in someone's head. It's in a file drawer. Or it just doesn't exist at all. It's in no tangible form. The visual workplace is tangible because it is made up of devices. It isn't a thought, but it is the result of thinking. So I want to welcome you to this, our weekly radio show. I've been doing this now. Today is three days short of my of our two-year anniversary, where we began here at Voice America uh, with my wonderful executive producer, Sandra Rogers, and the wonderful team here at Voice America, who have been so supportive and so technically proficient. It's really been a pleasure. So this week, 
this week, we have no announcements. Isn't that wonderful? I have no announcements. I'm going to jump right into our series, to continue our series on how to become a brilliant visual workplace trainer. Last week, we had our first all-call-in show, and it was great. We had four people calling in with questions, some of them about the training function, some of them about floor borders. Another person asked about how to handle the audit, and another person asked how to bring visuality into her office space. That was a woman named Margie. And we've sent each one of these people a book or some other gift to say thank you because we really value your call-ins and because, because we know it takes a special effort to jump online, wait, and also have a question prepared. Uh, so we really, really appreciate it. We'll have our next call-in show next week. We are going to try to alternate it one week of content or very specific focused learning like this week and the following week call-ins. We'll see how that works. I hope it really generates a discussion and that we get much more of you in the studio with me. That's my big hope. So thank you very much. Uh, we'll um, try it again next week. So we're going to continue this week. If you remember, we have a little bit of cleanup to do from the show on becoming a brilliant visual workplace trainer. We spent a good amount of time talking about preparing the physical work environment for great learning. And I'm just going to hit the topics now so you can recall them. We talked about that the training room had to be large enough, spacious, and free of clutter. We, and that was number two, to get rid of the clutter. Number three was to get the right equipment. That would be something as simple as a flip chart that doesn't flip over because it's got a, it's a, a, a three-legged tripod. We're looking for four-legged flip charts to make it easy for us to lean against and ride on without having to struggle. Number four, we talked about that the training room had to have good air. As humans, we need air, and we need that air to be flowing. We need it to be fresh. If we fall asleep in a training room, it's either because we're really, really tired or we don't have fresh air. Or, you know, it's possible that the trainer is boring as well. <laughs> That can be the that can be the cause as well, but if it's because the air is stale or there is none, then that's your responsibility, trainers, to set up the environment. The fifth was, and we just began to, to talk about this: the training room has to be quiet. Noise and sound are not the same thing. Remember, we talked about that. We define noise as any sound that does not originate in the room. It doesn't happen in the room, therefore it's noise intruding upon us. When the training room is noisy, people will strain to hear you, to hear the material, to hear themselves, to hear each other, and the training and the learning will suffer, and therefore the implementation will suffer, right? So whether or not it's a constant sound or an intermittent sound, loudspeaker announcements, machine noise, the running of an overhead air conditioner, or whatever constant street traffic. This is all kind of noise pollution, and it's distracting, and it is also exhausting for you as a trainer and for the folks who are trying to learn from you. And of course, we also want all the PDAs and the cell phones off and the beepers. I always uh, manage to gather a collection of PDAs. I try to pretend I'm going to take them home to me or uh, home with me or sell them as soon as I leave the building, but I almost always give them back. But that is um, a real bother. And you know, if people are too busy 
to turn their PDAs off with rare exceptions. Then they're too busy for the training. And so call the whole session off if everybody, if there's so much commotion in the environment that nobody can really be present, be settled, just postpone the training. Don't expect to be a rival to what's happening on your operational floor. Whether you're, Again, whether you're in a hospital, an engineering office, or a factory. If things are that rambunctious, then you're not going to get any good training done and you're not going to get any good learning. So just a couple of other points to, to finish up this list. And we're happy to send this list to you. About 10 people have emailed in and we send them out. Our um, email is radio at visualworkplace.com, radio at visualworkplace.com. We'll just send it to you as an attachment. I think it's a pretty good list. The training room, this is number six, the training room has to be dark enough. So much of the training in visuality takes place on a screen. This is not death by PowerPoint. We're not showing you, uh, you know, black letters on a plain white screen. We're showing you examples and you are entering into those examples and learning about them from the inside out. So the room has to be dark enough for you to see the details. These are photographic examples of great visual devices that represent very important principles of visual information sharing. We often go in, when I train, we often go in to a room that uh, where windows dominate and there are no blinds or inadequate blinds. They don't really um, block the light. But that's not a problem. Find some black garbage bags. We've done this many times. And some masking tape or preferably duct tape and cover the windows or get some cardboard flattened cardboard from shipping and receiving, and put them in place. That's all. You just make sure to uh, create darkness. And if there is a light directly over the screen, you douse it, remove it, mask it, okay? Because you want to have very, very crisp colors. That goes back to our discussion about having a LCD projector with very high lumens, okay? And then the last, I believe it, we have seven, we may have eight. No, we have eight. Okay. Seven, we, the seventh is the training room must have a workable layout. The layout of the room itself will exercise a subtle but a considerable influence over your training success. You don't accept the layout that you find waiting when you enter the room just because it's waiting there. You change the layout to accommodate your purposes, your requirement. And this includes in a boardroom. If you're faced with one of those big board tables, you have to decide. How are you going to set up the chairs in relationship to that boardroom? Are you going to use half of it, the upper half, the lower half? You really work and say, how can I maximize this room? If I'm stuck with it, what's the best way to utilize it? You can almost always find a way to modify a bad layout to better suit your learning needs. Okay, so there are five uh, conditions that we seek in a layout. Here they are. Number one, the instructor must be able to see everyone. Number two, the instructor must be able to circulate amongst participants, moving closer or moving farther away as required for emphasis or for coaching. You get close because you're, co- you're coaching, so you need to be able to get through. The layout needs to give you avenues or little walkways to get through, to reach people. Or maybe you want to move closer just to get people's attention. Maybe, in fact, 
it has been a long night and you need to help people stay awake. By your moving closer to people while you're talking, it won't create a threat. It will seem more personal. You do it in a friendly way. So you have to see everyone. You have to be able to circulate. And everyone has to be able to see you. And they have to be able to see each other. This is one of the problems with having a theater-type setup where everybody is kind of facing the screen or facing you. They're looking at other people's, at the backs of other people's heads. That's not very team-minded. That's not very learning-oriented. It's very passive. You're just sitting there being fed by a person who is way far away from you. Okay? So everyone has to be able to see each other. And you have to be able to get people into groups that look like teams, even temporarily. In other words, well, I will tell you that what we like best is to have a table for every four or five people laid out in a crescent shape. You'll see this if you ask for the handout. We have a diagram where it's laid out in a crescent shape. So each table is like its own island, and yet the crescent shape holds all the tables together. Even if you have 10 people and you have two tables, have them separated. You need to figure this out. I remember... Uh, one of my good friends, he's become a friend over the last two or three years, who trains for a big, uh, very nice corporation in um, Iowa. I said, I said, Cliff, you got to send me a picture of your layout of your, your training room. I want to see that it is visually oriented. He was a new trainer and I was helping him. So he sends it to me. And it was these long tables with, he had about 12 people in that room and it had about 40 chairs. There were chairs everywhere, chairs piled up, chairs at tables sitting with you when nobody was sitting in them, chairs everywhere. So, you know, I got a little grumpy. I said, okay, now would you please show me what you're going to do different? And he said, well, what do you mean? And I went through this list with him, okay, to really make the training environment um, in uh, conducive for learning. So you think about this layout, right? You think about where you're going to stand. You think about the sight line to the screen. And, you know, if you have very small groups, instead of having, uh, for example, two tables separated, you can place them in a V with the point of the V facing away from you. Okay, so, so I'm sorry, facing towards you so that people are coming together and there's that nice V. It's a kind of modified uh, square table. I don't like the round table uh, where there's uh, five or six tables put together and made into an open U. Uh, for me, I like it much better if the tables can be separate so people can move around. So that's number seven. Get a good layout and make your layout as good as possible given your constraints. It's really important. And the last, which we'll finish up now and then we'll start the new stuff as soon as we get back from a break, the last is refreshments are always welcome. If you're asking people to stay late or come in early or stay over, give them some refreshments. Yeah, it can be pizza, but I much prefer fresh fruit, cottage cheese, some hard cheese, popcorn, anything in lieu of high sugar foods or in addition to. Because you know what? No trainer can compete with chocolate. No trainer can compete with the sugar that goes into our system from, don- from donuts. 
Okay, so have some sturdy food there, some cheese, some protein, and have some food. Food is a way of saying thank you in advance. It's not an expectation. It is a courtesy. People are coming to learn, and you are supporting them with a good learning environment and with a welcome, just as you would in your home. Okay, And there are other things you can do to the environment to make it highly visual. And again, if you get in touch with us, we'll include that in this little packet and show you some really cool setups that some uh, trainers have done before to make, it, to make the environment itself visual. For an example, on each table, you put a little pad, um, let me call it a little placemat, and you put all the things like the pens, the name tags, right on that colored, um, what should I call it? colored placemat and put that on each table and automatically the tables begin to hang together better. You're using visuality to weave the room together to make it stronger visually and there are other things you can do. And by the way, always fresh water at the table, on the table with cups, please. Okay? So um, I have just one other thing to say when we get back from our break, but I'll see you in a minute and we'll do that then. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. Hi, I'm Rebecca Costa, host of the Costa Report every Tuesday at 6 a.m. and again at 6 p.m. This week, my guest is outspoken former congressman and one of our country's most prominent gay public figures, Mr. Barney Frank. He'll be with us to talk about the Supreme Court's ruling on DOMA and how the Obama presidency is doing in its second term. Don't miss Barney Frank this Tuesday at 6 a.m. and again at 6 p.m. on the Voice America Business Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post on our wall your thoughts about our shows and network. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, welcome back. This is Gwendolyn, 
Gwendolyn Galsworth, your host at this, our weekly radio show, The Visual Workplace, Letting the Workplace Speak. And we are in our second segment. Today we are continuing our discussion about how to become a brilliant visual workplace trainer. We just completed our list of eight requirements or considerations, eight elements for setting up your training room so that the environment itself is in good shape. And I just wanted to add something else, physically speaking. One of the things that we always provide to each person when they come in for the training is a little pocket memo pad, something that will fit. This is especially for operators, but we do it with supervisors. We do it with CEOs. But it's a a small pad of paper that people can carry around because they will be able to then use that pad to take notes once they're in their environment of work. So I mentioned that now. It'll come up again later, and I'll refer to it either in this show or the next, because it has turned out to be a surprisingly important tool. In general, I've always tried to keep the books and the manuals to be people size, to be the kind of thing that you don't have to lug around on a wheelbarrow and make a special place for when you store it. We do our our um, booklets, especially for operator training. We make them half size so that they are about 5 by 8 instead of 10 and a half by 8. So we just split it in half. So people have something that just fits in their hand. It's much more intimate. It's much friendlier. And it is not a problem to cart around. I just want to mention that. So in the second part of the show, and we'll use the rest of the show for this, I will do my best to uh, complete these. These are my principles for training effectively, the principles of effective training. And there are uh, nine of these, and I'd like to go through them because I find them to be surprisingly not in the forefront of many people's uh, thinking or many companies thinking about training and or in the forefront of many trainers thinking. But, you know, this is what I've learned over the last 30, 32 years of training. So I'm going to share this with you. This is kind of focused on operator training, but believe you me, believe you me, when I say to you, I think they really apply for all training. Okay, so let me go through these. Because remember, your job is to be really the best trainer you know how, and that means to accept inputs from many sources, mine including, from me uh, included, okay? So, principle one, and I mentioned this in the first show, week before last. I'm going to say it again with more different words. Principle one is to inspire first, then inform. Everyone has come across great teachers. And what is it that makes them great? Great teachers inspire us. They inspire us to learn. And then they teach us. They open our hearts and our mind. And then they inform us. And that's what you must do. Inspire first and then inform. As I see it, your job is to complete three important tasks. First, to inspire people to learn. Second, to teach people what the methodology is, whether it's work that makes sense, whether it's visual metrics, whether it's pokey oak. 
So you inspire first, you then teach, and your third task is to support, to support people in their thinking. Some folks call this coaching, and it's fine, you can call it coach, to support, to coach. But what you're supporting people in is in their thinking and in the application of their new thinking, their new learning if they're operators, applications in their own work areas. And there are things that happen after the training session where you can harvest what people learned during the training session. We sometimes think of those as two separate events, but they are in fact very, very closely linked. And in this way, you are helping the people who are coming to you in the hope of learning. You are helping them gain knowledge, gain skill because they apply the knowledge, and also gain confidence. Gain confidence in themselves. And yes, gain confidence in the knowledge that they learned and confidence in their skills. But this is confidence. This is self-esteem, confidence in ourselves. And all of this begins to build. And that's why when you're beginning to think, you must always understand that what you're really doing is not teaching people methodology. You are teaching people. Right? You are helping them learn. Great teachers teach. And you're not, you cannot be responsible for the amount that people learn, but you can certainly help them learn. The learning is really, and to a great extent, up to them, but you can prepare the environment so that learning is possible. That's your responsibility. So that's principle number one. Principle number two, start small. We urge you to start small when you're doing your first training cycle. We call it the A cycle. And I will tell you, it is one of the most important principles for your success. You choose a small group to train during your first cycle. We look 8 to 12 people. For me, that's ideal for a new trainer. For an experienced trainer like me, I can handle 35 or 50. I can handle 150 people. But I've been doing this for 30 years. But for a new trainer, you need that first learning cycle to be about you learning how to train the methodology that you're responsible for. You're going to give yourself space during that A cycle, A meaning A, B, C, D, E. So this is your first cycle. You're going to give yourself space to make mistakes. They are inevitable to make missteps, they're going to happen the first time through anything. Think about first-time parents. The new baby comes home. There's a lot to learn. Mistakes are made. Parents learn. The second child comes around, and the parents greet the kid with confidence and skill. They, They may have to send the first child to therapy by the time they're 12 or 13, (laughs) But, you know, they made their mistakes. (laughs) One of my favorite jokes, if you've been listening to me for any amount of time, you'll know you've heard that four or five times. (laughs) But it's like that. Honestly, the first cycle of training, these folks are going to be the casualty of your learning. You'll do the best job you can, but the second time you do it, you're going to be better. And actually, we often find that the A cycle graduates after the B and sometimes after the C. In other words, they complete because they're still reeling from all the damage you did 
because you were trying to inform them, stuff it down their throat instead of inspiring them, and they decided they didn't like you after the first hour, you treated them too rough, you made all the mistakes. So you start small. Growth is faster, and it is often deeper as a result. Start small, right? Make your mistakes on a very small group. That's principle two. Principle three, this is for the corporation to understand, for your boss and the champion to understand, everyone gets trained. If you're training operators, all the operators get trained. No matter what shift, no matter what level of their interest, what, no matter what level of your interest, everyone gets trained. We are not, I am not, my company is not, everyone who works with us is not in favor of so-called representative training. By representative training, we mean only a few people from uh, a select targeted areas are sent to the training. The rest remain behind doing the work. No, no, no. We want everyone trained in as close to the same time frame as possible. We try to make sure that everyone gets trained within five business days. If we start on a Friday, then by the next Thursday or Friday, we want everybody across four shifts to be trained. Sometimes it's a challenge. But in our experience, representative training tends to create the impression of an elite. You may not intend to do this, bosses, but when you select a small group to get trained, the folks who don't get trained will often view that small group as favored by management, as also knowing more, right? as not having to slug it out in the no air conditioning while you get to sit in a comfortable training room and be fed popcorn and cheese and maybe even sugary donuts. You know, it's a privilege. Right? And then there's us. We're left behind. We keep things going. And you come and you, you, you're trying to uh, teach us what you learned or you're trying to I'll use the word show off. We're not going to support you. In fact, we're going to probably do, because we're only human, what we can to non-support you or maybe even not support you. It's because the initial decision was a not favorable one, which is you pre-selected or you selected to train only a few people, not everyone. A lot of misunderstanding and resentment on both sides. We have had people who have been selected and selected again and again. We will enter into an environment like that and they'll say, please, I love visuality. I know I want to learn, but please don't choose me. I already have such recovery to make from the last time I was chosen. Please don't punish me because I'm smart or don't punish me because I cooperate and I have good manners or I like to join in and help. Choose someone else. I don't need any more um, uh, per, uh, personal selection anymore. You know, they feel uncomfortable as well. So, again, it doesn't mean that you have to train everyone at once. In fact, attempting to do so is a huge mistake, a recipe for failure. Let's get everybody trained within the next three months. No. It goes counter to uh, cultivating a new way of thinking, getting applications in, pre- in place, learning how to work with the plant. You don't want to have a simultaneous training for everyone or even close to it. But 
If yours is a three-shift operation, it does mean that you're going to have to train everyone. Yes, I've come in at night, 10 o'clock and and 5 o'clock to train the second shift and the graveyard shift. So what? It's part of my job. And it's been glorious. It's been glorious. I can come in a little bit later in the morning because I need to catch up on a little bit of sleep. But that's the way it goes. And that talks to also the need to have enough trainers. Don't, don't skip on that. Don't skimp on that. Okay? So everyone in a single work area gets trained in as near to the same time as possible in the same week. But I want to warn you, it doesn't mean that everybody learns. You simply put them through the paces. To a very great extent, the learning level of the participant is owned by that participant. You can create a training room that helps the learning, and we'll pick up that point in Principle 4 when we come back from our next break. See you in a minute. which guests are being featured this week. Read our network press releases and read the blog posts from your favorite hosts. Go to iradioblog.com today. Powered by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense, with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call one 866 472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, welcome back. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth. Welcome back to the Visual Workplace. We're in our third segment of the second show, 
that we're doing on becoming a brilliant visual workplace trainer. Thanks for coming back. And next week, we're going to have a call-in show, so please, you can email your questions and or you can call them in, in real time. We'll be giving out that number uh, during the show itself. Uh, and, and I wanted to also, on that note, I want to say, you know, we know we have a lot of listeners in China and India, and we're really, really glad about that. And I know that uh, I, I particularly w- was thinking about you, our friends in China. This is in Ben Ben Faven's factory. I was particularly thinking about you because I know that the American way of training is a little bit different from the way you train in or the way that you traditionally cha- train in China. But what I want to say to you is that when I was thinking about this series, I had had a conversation with your boss, Ben Faven, and I thought it would be helpful for you to know these principles so that you could begin to see what's different about training and what's what's different about training visuality from the point of view of its mechanics and from the point of view of the principles so that you didn't think about something like, oh, Americans are different, they're culturally different. And therefore, we, tr- we in China train a different way. And they in America and the United States train a different way. But instead, what we've learned over the last 20 or 30 years is that there are different principles of training that will smooth out the training approach in all these countries. Whatever your country is, this is good learning. It may feel uncomfortable because it's kind of newish. It's not the traditional way. But that's okay. So what? What we're talking about is adult learning. How do you help adults learn and apply and come up? How do you help adults come up through learning? Okay, so I wanted to mention that, and I hope that you're getting it. And, you know, um, if you want to have a discussion about this, you're going to have everything you need in the next three or four shows to have a really good discussion about what should we do the same or different in the way that we train. So right now we're talking about effective training. Last show and this one, we were talking about the training room itself. Now we're talking about training effectively. And principle four is make the training room safe. And this is a big one, and it'll take us to the end of the show, and we'll pick up the rest next week. For any learning to happen, you have to make the environment safe, the training room safe. Safe for what? Safe for learning. By that, we mean two different kinds of safety, physical safety and psychological safety. Physical safety is fairly easy to come by in a training room setting. And we went over the tips for setting up a good physical environment. That's what we did last show, beginning of this show. But making the training room psychologically safe takes a bit of a different kind of effort. For starters, you have to make it safe for all people. You have to make it safe for the people who are pretty easy to be around, to work with. And you have to make it safe for people who may give you a hard time, who may give you and everybody else a hard time, the grumps, the grouches. You both know whom I'm speaking about but you also know who you are. By the way, the hard time that we're given by people like that 
or the hard time that we give when we are like that is almost always because we don't feel safe. This is psychologically safe. The safe, the, the, the part of the person that doesn't feel safe is the I. That part of us, that is us. You have to make the, the training environment safe for the I. And remember, visuality is I-driven. So you can understand how critically important this is for learning and also for the invention of wonderful visual devices and the ownership of the whole visual workplace as my language. What do I need to know? What do I need to share? So an important part of creating psychological safety is smoothing out that playing field so that everyone feels the right to be in it, to be in the room on an equal footing with everyone else. It's one of the reasons why I spoke against representative training. There's no perceived elite. We are all the same. We have parity. There is no difference between you and me, creating parity, creating that feeling, trainers, is part of your job. Creating the feeling of parity is part of your job. This is not psychological therapy. This is simply good training. So you need to take steps, and there's, there's a great deal that I want to say about this. We will not have time to cover it all today. You need to take steps to ensure that, number one, everyone has a chance to be heard. And remember I said before, everyone can be seen and can see everyone else. This automatically creates a physical parity. Everyone has a chance to be heard, number one. And number two, everyone can taste some measure of success, some some measure of success in your training room. This is sometimes expressed as, Respect everyone, respect the individual. But you know what? I have so rarely seen people know how, knowing how to operationalize that. When I teach 5S, I say the first S is for spirit. I lied to you before when I told you the first S was for sort through or sort out. It is not. In workplace visuality, the first S is for spirit. It is the spirit of the, it is for the spirit of the workplace and the spirit inside of each of us, you and me and them. The I. We share that. We are eyes. Hmm? We're individuals, if you like. We are individual wills, if you like. Those are all eyes. And this is the way we think about psychological safety. Now, how do you operationalize that? How do you act in order to make the room safe? Well, I have several techniques to share with you. One of them is normalizing the room. And the second one, these are my two favorite, and there's a few other things I'll mention, including that memo pad that I spoke of before. Normalizing the room and asking people to talk amongst themselves a lot. So let's talk about normalizing the room. Normalizing the room means creating parity in the room, and you do this right away. Often called an icebreaker, when you normalize the room, what you're doing is warming things up. You're putting people at their ease. You're going through an activity which puts people on an equal footing and maybe even creates a lot of fun, a lot of 
energy and a lot of synergy. And you make that part of your opening every time you bring the group together, not just the first time. For example, when we train operator-led visuality, we have 10 modules. They're each about an hour and a half. They take It can take anywhere from three to four months to go through, depending on what the grab is, depending on whether or not you're getting the results, which is a 15 to 30% increase in throughput, but also depending on the kind of constraints in your system. If you don't have an infrastructure in place, things are going to slow down until you do. But all of that is great work, and it lasts forever. So when you normalize the room, you normalize it the first time people are together, And when they come back the next week, you normalize the activity, you normalize the room. And when you come back, if you're doing a once a week training or even once a month, whatever, you normalize again. You always create immediate fresh parity so that people feel at ease and they feel equal. And the way to do that is to let pe- give people a question or an exercise to which there is not a right or wrong answer. Where there any answer will do. That's why getting everybody to line up on a straight line in the order of, in alphabetical order of their first name or their last name is a great normalizing activity because it gives everybody a chance to do something simple but complicated enough to force them into interaction with someone else. What's your first name? Alan. That's an A. No, no, my Alan, my name begins with an E. Oh, okay, well, let's find an A. And you go back and forth, and the energy in the room begins to grow, and it becomes literally warm. And when warmth, when warmth encounters a cold room, or people who are cold to themselves and others, what happens? A kind of expansion, a kind of melting. You see why we call it an icebreaker? And if you don't do this, ladies and gentlemen, you will be working so hard to inform people, and they will not learn because they're not opened. It is your job to open them. We'll pick this up after the break, and we We're going as fast as we can, Joe, but I hope this is useful to you. (laughs) See you in a minute. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. 
social media is growing at an astounding rate. In just virtually five short years, we have seen YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter take the world by storm. How do you effectively make social media work for you? Tune in to The Social Universe with host Kurt Wilhelm. We'll show you how to market your business or yourself to get ahead, especially in unstable economic times. We'll also discuss practices that you can apply to increase visibility and revenue as you unlock the mysteries of the social universe. The Social Universe is broadcast live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call one 866 472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi again, this is Gwendolyn, and we're in our fourth segment of the Visual Workplace today, our fourth segment of our journey through the components of becoming a brilliant, dazzling, fantastic, splendid visual workplace trainer. So you can enjoy yourself, so you can teach and others learn, so you can inspire, and there will be tremendous application to change the living landscape of work and let the workplace speak, right? This is stuff that I learned, and believe me, I was, I would say at the beginning of my, uh, if I want to call it career, who knew it was going to be a career, at the beginning of my slog, <laughs> at the beginning of my moving through mud, 1982-83, I was a, a Latin teacher, as some of you may remember. But I suddenly found myself in factories, and all of the mistakes that I could make, I did make. They were mistakes of personality. They were mistakes of values. Wrong values, Gwenning, wrong values. They were mistakes of tension, just because I was uptight. There were mistakes of content. But over the years, I've learned to be a pretty darn good trainer. And I'll tell you, although this isn't the topic right now, I'll be talking about it. I've learned to make people like me, which has been a tremendous step forward. They like me. I've learned to use my charm, my personal charm, (laughs) once I found it. But I first had to find it. And so you normalize the room. I should really give you the, normal, the normalizing activity I use. Maybe I will. This will throw us off, but this one's so much fun. So you can do these kind of icebreaker things, but the thing that I do, it, the first time I bring a group of operators together and they don't know from visuality and they wonder who I am, I say, let's go for a ride. I think I did this once a few years ago with you. Let's go for a ride. I need a volunteer. I need somebody who, this is the normalizing activity. I need a volunteer, someone who loves to drive fast cars and expensive ones. So a man or a woman will raise their hand and they'll name a Ferrari or a Porsche or something like that or something that I don't even know. And I say, oh, and I'll say, okay, so here's our purpose. You need to get to my mother's house by noon on Saturday because she's having a big picnic or Christmas dinner or Hanukkah, whatever it is, Easter dinner, whatever it is, 
and you have to get there on time, and she's got a few conditions. You can rent any car you want once you fly into the Newark airport. This is my mom used to live in New Jersey. And you have to get to her house on time, but without asking any questions. Once you pick up the car at the rental car, any car you want, you can't ask any questions, and no, you can't get a GPS. If it has a GPS, you can't turn it on. So, you're in the car. My mom serves a great meal, but she's fussy about being on time. It's about an hour and 15 minutes. You're going to arrive about three hours ahead of time. You're going to plan your flight that way. You fly in. Fly in from China. And I want you to tell me what visual devices will help you along the way. What's going to help you? And at this point, trainers... Nobody knows what a visual device is. They're not acquainted with the language, with the dictionary. And then I do the second technique of normalizing the room. And this is hand in hand. It's called talk amongst yourselves. The purpose of this technique that I call talk amongst yourselves is to give people a chance to find their own voice and find their own thoughts. And we do this in pairs. We don't do it as a table. We do it in pairs if we're forced because there are 11 people to have one set of three, we'll do it, but very reluctantly. We have pairs of people, they sit there, they look at each other, they don't know what they're supposed to be thinking or even in a way how to think because it's, you know, they came in here to kind of be invisible into the training room and all of a sudden within the first seven minutes they're being thrown into Talk amongst yourselves what visual devices will help you get to grandma's house. But it's a common experience, and people know. Now, in third world countries where people don't have cars, you change it a little bit. How would the bus driver find it? Buses are taking you to work. You make those adjustments, of course. You have to be careful for that. And so people begin to talk amongst themselves, and they talk about Finding, they talk about a map, they talk about street signs, they talk about lines in the road. It's no problem that the language isn't exactly what it will be. But what visual devices do they find along the way? The toll booths, the cop car that's chasing them because they're going too fast, the ticket, all that stuff. And you let them think. That's all they're going to do is think. They're going to think and they're going to find their voice with the other person. Boy, I tell you, trainers, when you do this, you're not only making the room safe for people's psychology, you are getting a big leg up on people speaking up. And if you do this right, by the middle of your first session, people are standing up and shouting at you saying, I don't understand. What are you talking about, Gwenny? Or, wait a minute. I didn't get a chance to answer. I got an idea here. And then when you say, well, how are you going to use these ideas in your workplace? The brain and the heart, the mind, the hands, the feet, the heart are ready to go. You got the whole person. Huge, huge, huge difference. And you find a normalizing activity for the next time. And I want to tell you this because we're running out of time for today's show. When you, when you say, you give people six or seven minutes, the room should get noisy. If it isn't noisy, you say, I need this room to be noisy. You are not noisy enough. Will you please start making some noise? People feel permitted then. You're encouraging them. You're being charming. And then 
you have them talk about what they see. And what you do as a trainer is you draw what they say. If they say a map, you make some wriggly lines on the flip chart and you draw it because you want to have that visual imprint. You want the visuality to be seen on the outside and come back and stay on the inside. If they say a street sign, you put a street sign with a little X on top. If they say railroad crossing, you do that. You draw what they say. And at some point, you choose the moment when you got yourself, you know, a winner. You say, you know what? I'm trying to understand what you mean, but I need, would you mind, could you come up and draw it? And you know how terrified people are of doing this. But you make it casual, and you've already modeled the behavior. Can you, can you draw it? Yeah, it's going to take you 20 minutes to get through this exercise, but these people will be yours forever because you have given them an experience of themselves, and you've done it quickly, and you've done it in a way that they are equal to everyone in the room. So you make sure to pick up people's comments. So it's one per table or one per group, And you can have people pull together, pull together. So if you've got six people sitting at a table, they can prepare to present to you per table. So, you you know, you've got five or six tables the way I do. We go through them, then we go round robin, we take up another group, we take up another group. But you don't let people run through their whole list. You just let them pick up one. And you do this. And you know what? You're feeling really capable as a trainer. And you know what? They're feeling very capable as your equal. Quickly become their equal. So I want, I will, when we resume this week after next, next week is call in, call in with your questions about training or anything else. We will pick this up. I have so much that uh, I'm so excited about your training this in a way that really helps people become new thinkers and become new people. Help them come up. This is what visuality is for. It's about the eye. I've had a great time with you today. I hope you have too. Please keep your emails coming. We love to read them. They help us a lot. And I will talk to you next time. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth, and I'm signing off. We appreciate your joining us this week for The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense. Please tune in for another episode next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific, featuring your host, Dr. Gwendolyn Galesworth, on the Voice America Business Channel. Thanks again for listening.